so so yeah this is pretty relaxed Sergey. thanks for coming in um to have a chat um and to set the scene uh sitting here with Sergey um surname chernikov and also martin hartley so martin i'm sure will sort of chip in with comments and questions maybe as well because this really was sort of a conversation in a bar that has sort of progressed i think and Sergey has kindly sort of agreed to come and have a chat sitting in long latitude longitude Seventy-eight degrees. Seventy-eight degrees. Seventy-eight degrees. Um, about minus seven outside. Some beautiful mountains and snow. Uh, we are in the hotel room. That's the only place we could find, and we're doing this on an iPhone because we forgot the recording equipment. But we'll do our best. And as I say, it's really just a conversation that we wanted to have with Sergey because he seems like a pretty intelligent guy that has found himself in maybe a sort of slightly different situation than than he thought in regards to sort of being Russian up in Svalbard, but being pretty tuned into what's going on in the world, etc. So we wanted to have a chat about about that, but also around tourism here and, and what it's like and in terms of working in this environment, because Svalbard itself is really sort of a pretty unique environment, isn't it? It is. So maybe, Sergei, just tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, what you're doing up here, etc. That would be a great place to start. So I'm uh, originally from Moscow, Russia, but I came to Svalbard in December 2015. First working in uh, the Russian settlements, and I worked in tourism industry, starting uh, to work as a field guide, working on a snow scooter trips, hikings, uh, then became the operations manager of uh, the tourism department. So being the chief guide and uh, dealing with logistics, procurement, and plenty of other things. And then last May, I, uh, for political reasons, moved to Longibuin, and now stay and work in Longibuin with uh, different jobs. So. You- you come from Russia, why Svalbard? It's not the most obvious place to come, you know, for most people in the world. How come you ended up here? From the very childhood, I was uh, very keen on nature, on being outside, not being in the big city. And then uh, summer 2015, I've spent uh, the whole summer season on Franz Josef Land, working in science department with uh, polar bears for one of the national parks. And uh, I heard about Svalbard from one of my Norwegian colleagues. And yeah. That was just logical for me. The thing is that I could not have stayed on Franz Josef Land for the whole year. Yeah. It was just the summer season when you could be in the area. And then I found out that Svalbard is open year-round, so it's possible to be and work in, in here, and that's why I came. And so what were you doing with polar bears in Franz Josef Land? Uh, that was about uh, monitoring their behavior, especially when they kind of communicate, see, meet people and to find patterns on what works the most with polar bears, how to prevent conflicts, and how to arrange things more smoothly for both sides. Okay. So that's obviously quite relevant to, to Svalbard now as well, especially with of the course. new regulations that are being talked about in of regards course. to travel and tourism and stuff. So I'm sure we can come on to that. So, and so you came from Franz Josef Land, and then you went into Barentsburg, was it? First, it was Barentsburg, December 2015. So what is explain a bit about Barentsburg in terms of, I don't really know a huge amount about it, but it's come into the media a bit more recently, obviously, with what's going on in the world in terms of Ukraine and Russia, etc. What's Barentsburg? What's, what's there? Tell us a bit about it. So, yeah, now we are basically in Longyearbyen, which is the Norwegian and administrative capital of Svalbard. Uh, while there is the second settlement uh, on the archipelago, and that's Baringsburg, and that belongs to the Russian governmental company. It uh, first was the Soviet governmental company, which was uh, kind of dealing with all the things in the settlements. They had more than just one settlement. That was two, actually, Baringsburg and Pyramiden. 
So uh, Barisburg was started in 1931. That's uh, the year when the first miners arrived from Soviet mm. uh, Union. And uh, actually, they arrived not from Russia, but from Ukraine. The thing is that in Russia, they were uh, most experienced miners from the Soviet Union, not that much from Russia. So, And <clears throat> back to the days, they needed the result, the coal itself, as fast as possible. So they had no time to kind of train stuff and people. So, yeah. That's how it all started. Uh, from 1931 and up to nowadays, let's say, there was uh, a little uh, period when the settlement was not active. Same to Longyearbyen. It was the World really? War II, yeah. when all the... Uh, that basically, it's everyone from Svalbard who was evacuated. But then, uh, 1946, the settlement started being restored. Same to Longyearbyen as well. Yeah. So how and, big is Bamsberg? Yeah. Back to the golden era of Barisburg at yeah. end of 70s, that was actually around 1,500 really? locals in the area. Yeah. While Longibune was way smaller, it actually changed a lot. Right? Yeah. Okay. At some point, there were like really more uh, representatives of the Soviet Union than the regions in the area. Nowadays, it's just around 350 before the war started this year. And now I don't know actually, but I know that quite a lot of people left. So I'd say... 250 kind really? of maybe. Really? So it's quite small? Yeah. And is it still an active mining town? It's, it's still an active mining town and it's still, uh, I'd say, around 70-80% of Ukrainians who live in the settlement and only the rest is Russians. Really? Yeah. Okay. And so, so maybe explain a bit about Svalbard, you know, taking a step back. How is it structured in regards to the communities socially? What's the makeup of the population here? You know, obviously it's not 100% Norwegians, you know, there's quite a mix of people here. And then it's a, it's a pretty unique environment to live in anyway, isn't it? And you've now been is. here for about eight years. Maybe talk us through that and then a bit about with recent things going on between Russia and re Ukraine, obviously with the war. Has that impacted the community? You know, what's happening? So uh, the place is really unique uh, in many ways. There were originally no indigenous cultures in here but still quite a lot of representatives from very different nationalities and countries started coming in the area uh, quite long ago. It all started with Barents out of 16th century. Uh, that's most historians say, because it's not like very 100% proven who was still the first one, but yeah. like most common version is that it was Barents. So then it was whalers from both Netherlands and England. Uh, Pomors from northern Russia, hunters, trappers, they were hunting not whales, but mostly walruses, seals, rangers, and right. all the rest. <clears throat> then it was Norwegian trappers, Swedish trappers, then it was, uh, I'd say, very same thing as with the Golden Rush, just with the Coal Rush in here. Mm -hmm. And that was also represented by, by many countries in the very beginning of 20th century. Uh, so... During the whole period of its kind of creation, Svalbard was a really huge mixture. And especially nowadays, it's around 60 nationalities living in the area. 60. Around 60. <clears throat> and I think that's really fantastic because you won't find a place on the earth like this. I mean, in some countries, of course, there are more nationalities. But due to the area, which is quite vast, yeah. you won't meet so many people of different cultures at the same time. While yeah. in here, it, and it's really beautiful. Uh, it's like a port. All cultures just mix, and yeah. uh, you get to know so many different 
traditional things like folk not folklore as it is but you know traditions yeah. from different people and culture and that's that's really good it's a sort of northern outpost isn't it is that right in it terms is of, it's in and, a way and is it a close community then in terms of definitely yeah definitely i mean uh yeah people if something good is happening like you see sun for the first time after the whole night <laughs> yeah as the whole community which is meeting the sun and that's a very long tradition they have special stairs kind of it's just two steps yeah but you take it to the second step and you see the sun for the first time in the year yeah and that stairs stand there for like 50 years or so even more i think really yeah it's and a lovely that's, community that's, tradition yeah yeah and that's a big festival which they have and uh, you've got a big smile on your face when you're talking <laughs> about this and yeah so is i i i just really find it very beautiful you have an incredible amount of knowledge about Svalbard and the communities, uh, you know, and the wildlife and the politics and everything. It's obviously more than just somewhere you live. You know, you are Russian, but you're here and this seems to be sort of your home, really. It is. Yeah. It is. The thing is, that's when I left Russia 2015. Actually, it was a huge crisis in me because I was just not fitting into the society and I did not appreciate the values which were kind of spread. And uh, yeah, I just did not feel myself right in the place in russia in russia yeah. yeah and in here it works so fantastically good because <laughs> people are really kind and they mean it and actually funny thing is uh, back to the back to baringsburg to the russian settlement yeah when we worked in there we had so many uh tourists from all over the world and we had them every week as we had week tours so uh some of russians arriving back to baringsburg they were like guys you are real russians yeah. Like open hearted, open minded. Yeah. Welcoming and yeah. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? At the moment I think it's it's obviously very hard knowing what's going on between Russia and Ukraine, but um we talked about this the other day. People can sort of generalize a lot, can't they? Oh, they're Russian, so you know, and that has happened very quickly and it's it's very unfair as well, isn't it? I think in um the biggest part of crisis I just mentioned is mm. that I actually don't feel myself Russian right. because I don't feel myself part of the country and I don't want to. I yeah. don't want to be back to the country and I don't want to share that values yeah. or stuff like that. And actually, like just a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I've been on a trip with artists uh, that was on the uh, toll ship yeah. and it was artist residency. And that was so funny for me because we had artists from all over the world. It was around 30 people. Most of them, like, it was nearly 50-50, 50% from the States and 50% from both Europe and uh, UK. And so the first question people asked each other was, where you come from? Yep. And I was like, why does it matter so much? Because you all know that you are either artists, either scientists, so you could ask about your projects or background or whatever, yeah. you know, but you still ask about the country. And I, I thought a lot about that. And uh, I talked, yeah, and uh, at the same time, we talked with all of the people and we were all on the same page. We were yeah. so, like, uh, going in one direction. So I thought, I started thinking a lot on the topic and I decided that uh, at some point, you know, it was not kind of polite to ask people about their age. So I think at some point it could start being not polite to ask about nationality. Yeah. But instead, there needs to be something instead. And that could be, Valuality. I, yeah. I created a yeah. word. Yeah. And uh, I, I feel like that's, that's really nice because it, I mean, instead of knowing from where you come from, because it gives you just a bunch of stereotypes yeah. and patterns and yeah. nothing else, yeah. you have this really 
kind of thing which is core for you. About based around your values. And about, around your values, exactly. I like it. Yeah, no, I think that's a definitely a new new way to go. And so, um, so how going back to that community aspect, in regards to we met you at um, the bar at Mary's Polarigan, which was a great place to go. Um, had a few drinks there. You introduced yourself, and we had dinner there. What were you doing that night in terms of there was this this massive dinner that you had put on and you were sort of fundamental in organizing that? Uh, so the thing is that Marianne's uh, goes on with uh, national cousins uh, every summer. So they host, uh, I'd say, every weekend or at least two weekends a month. They host those kind of national cousin evenings when they serve traditional food from one chosen uh, national cousin. National, yeah. And uh, they try looking for chiefs from that very nationality. They actually first find a chief and they ask uh, if you'd like to maybe do something like that. So uh, the owner of the place is my friend. And uh, I talked with him, I think, uh, three weeks ago. Yeah. If we maybe could arrange uh, an evening. He said, just go for it. And we, of course, wanted to do uh, a Ukrainian evening because uh, we have a Ukrainian chief. And yeah. actually quite Ukrainian a lot. chef, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and actually, yeah, there is kind of, I would not say community, but there are some people, uh, both Ukrainians and Russians from Bidensburg, who yeah. moved from the settlements for political reasons. Just and, recently? Uh, it all started a year ago, yeah. but since then it was different waves. Yeah. And yeah, so we have quite a lot of friends and I uh, talked with most of them and of course, uh, all of them were eager to help. And that's how we started the Ukrainian dinner. And the whole idea was to get money and to send them to volunteers who help uh, with food, supplies, medicine, relocation, and for all Ukraine. that stuff. So and actually, that's is to a Russian hosting a dinner for Ukraine. No, no, in, in Svalbard. It, it, it was. It was not like that. <laughs> no, it was uh, a mixture of Ukrainians and Russians who helped to arrange everything. Quite a powerful message, isn't it? You know, in terms of that's in one of the most northernmost outposts. You know, we just walked into that, but didn't we, Martin? And we were sort of fortunate to sort of, you know, be there and and you introduced the meal and what it was and. You know, I think we worked out, you know, how much you had two sittings. You had about 78 people, 76, 76 people um, sort of throughout the evening. And we even heard someone saying this, the, it's the most local long year bins they've ever seen in one place ever. I mean, that's a pretty I mean, that is an achievement in itself. And going back to your valuality, which mm-hmm. you wanted yeah. to do instead of nationality. You know, that's a pretty that's a pretty strong sort of pointer on that, isn't it, in terms of you've done that for those reasons, getting all of those people together in this one community. It doesn't matter. And I know you don't see yourself necessarily as traditionally Russian, but, you know, that's where you're born and, and where you're from in terms of, and being, you know, key in, in an evening like that is, is amazing. But that was the already second event in a row, which was for donations to Ukraine. And yeah. the third event in a row for uh, support of Ukraine as it is. Uh, getting back to the locals, I find them really beautiful. The beautiful yeah. people. That's yeah. how I started, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they are. They are because, and that's back to the society in here, uh, as it is. Because people really feel, people really struggle, and they're very in. Uh, the empathy is yeah. really big, still big in here, and I think that's one of the hugest differences for me. Back to the comparing mainland and Svalbard. Yeah, 
So in here, you like I, I've heard it not only from myself, but from those people who stay here for some time, that they feel themselves Svalbardians. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, is that what you you consider yourself now? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So then something we can't really ignore now, COVID. Yeah. So in terms of this is the, the actually the second um, trip we've managed to run since COVID has lifted, you know, with our, with our ships out here. Um, which is only 12 clients per ship, so it's very small scale and stuff. And I'd like to chat to you a bit about travel and, and, how, and tourism up here as well. But how was COVID, you know, up here in a very remote community? Again, what happened? What was it like? It was very different to what uh, was happening on the mainland because, uh, of course, it was uh, a bit of rules that were implemented. If I'm not mistaken, bars and restaurants were also closed, but not for the whole period. So at some yeah. point, it was allowed for locals to go visit bars and restaurants. In Svalbard. And yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Svalbard, both yeah. Barentsburg and Longibien, because the rules were the same for mm. both of the settlements. Uh, and then, yeah, when it all just started, all of the tourists were uh, taken back to mainland with one of the aircrafts. It was a special aircraft for all of them. That was at the beginning of COVID. Yeah, I th no, uh, I mean, it was different periods when yeah. COVID kind of started in yeah. uh, countries. But when you had to shut in down. Here, lockdown, yeah. In Norway, it was pro progressing quite fast, I'd say. I think uh, it was just within a week when they started having first kind of hundred of cases and then... Suddenly it was around southern something, and then they said, no, yeah, we kind of shut down. Yeah, uh, but also what I've heard from locals, those kind of were lucky enough to survive all the struggles and stay on Svalbard. They were quite happy that they finally have time to travel around. Because usually April, beginning of May, is the high season, and it's uh, quite a lot of tourists in here. Yeah. And all locals work a lot especially, yeah. I mean, those who work in tourism. And now they had time to travel on their own and uh, they were quite happy so They could that. discover stuff on their own doorstep. At the same time, uh, I needed to mention that quite a lot of people were, uh, they just needed to leave because they had uh, no other options of staying in here because they were out of work, out of tourism. I'm once again talking mostly of those who worked in tourism. And uh, they did not receive any support from uh, the Norwegian government. I'm talking about non-Norwegians, because yep. Norwegians received it. And yeah, so they needed to leave. That was, of course, an issue. Yeah. But then uh, when it all started being normal, not that long ago, actually, people started coming back. And you stayed here throughout COVID, throughout lockdown? During the whole period. Uh, during the whole period, yeah. Was it quite surreal in regards to, you know, it's a small community anyway, and then... Shrunk down even more, you know. As you said, some people had to leave. There's no tourists coming in. It must have been pretty amazing as well in terms of you considered yourself a Svalbardian. It, it sort of it must have been quite a unique, privileged opportunity to be here. Uh, it was still quite a lot of work to do. So <laughs> right. actually, I saw no difference. Really? Yeah. I mean, of course, it was a difference, but I mean, we still were working like regularly. It was not like huge gaps on schedules yeah. or just being on the sofa watching Netflix. <laughs> so, so you didn't get much time off? No, no, it was just the same regarding work. So, and Just then, not with tourists, but with other stuff. So how does that, what's the perception of tourism here? You know, that's a, it's a tricky conversation, tourism anywhere in the world, isn't it? In terms of, is it good, is it bad? 
it's obviously you know mining is a key part of of Svalbard and Longyearbyen. You, there's well, still I would the, not say so. Not not so much. Well, there's uh, still the one mine here that is working and functioning. Ah, uh, yeah, but they are talking a lot about shutting about it down. closing it down. Yeah. So, what are the main industries here then? And travel and tourism is one of those. How's that perceived? Definitely, tourism is huge for Svalbard because it brings a lot of income. Uh, they also try to make it as stable and eco as positive. I'd say there are some nice steps uh, forward to that. And also some of them are, of course, not that nice. It's all very discussable. And uh, the nice thing is that they try to make tourism, as I've already mentioned, uh, stable to make it kind of whole year round that tourists uh, come visit the place. And that's how they started uh, musical festivals in here in autumn, late autumn, when it's kind of that season and not that much to do. You don't have ships. You still... Right. Already, like already, you don't have snow scooters yet. Yeah. So it's kind of a gap, but yeah, the those musical festivals were arranged, and people also come and uh, fulfill the hotels, the restaurants. So that's kind of going, but definitely, it's a lot of people who are involved in uh, the tourism industry because it's not only let's say managers and guides, but also of course bartenders, shifts, and. Uh, well, the logistics, you work for a logistics company as well, etc. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of people. Also, uh, a big part of Svalbard is science, I'd say. So there is the university, maybe you've seen Unis. Yeah. And uh, they also have a whole department in logistics, and that's a lot of scientists coming from all over the world as well. So. Do you want to talk a bit more about sort of perception of Russians here and what's going on back, back home? I don't want to say home for you. I know. But in regards to... What's your perception of that? Is it just something that you just you don't you don't really want to be involved in? Like, I think the the thing we were chatting about, we chatted about at breakfast as well, is the difference in perception that you have being here, being Russian, being in this community, and then you have family back home which don't understand what has been going on, etc. As well, and I don't know whether I want to talk about that or not. I find it quite hard. It is hard. It's a hard conversation to have because there's two separate versions of truth going on in the world and we should talk about it mm. because it is happening now and what Russians are being told in Russia is not what we are being told and Russians are being told outside of the conflict zone, outside of Russia, sorry. So it is a, important to talk about it because it, it is happening and it's not something we should ignore. So I'm interested you spoken I, see, to, I see no reasons why we're not talking about that actually. You think it should be something that's spoken So you've spoken to family back <laughs> home, etc. And and what's the see, what's their perception? What is Yeah, I've spoken to some people. I would not say that I have a lot of friends uh, in Russia. Most of them uh, funny thing, but I have more Ukrainian friends than Russian mm. ones. So uh, actually, how how old are you now, Sergey? We... Thirty. Thirty. Yeah. And, yeah. I've spoken to several people and I actually I'm uh, a bit desperate about this because uh, it's just a huge abyss between us. Yeah. And uh, what actually irritates me even more is uh, not those people who just bland, uh, blindly follows propaganda. Yes, I mean, it's really brainwashing and that's kind of, okay, you're brainwashed, like, fine. But I don't get those people who say, I'm just not part of this. And uh, you are definitely part of this if you at least pay taxes. Yeah. I mean, I know quite a lot of people who... Ju it was just the same as uh, a century ago when uh, the Soviet Union 
started kind of appearing on the mainland and that was revolution and stuff and stuff and stuff. So most of intelligence, artists, scientists and those people who kind of were opposite to what is happening, they just left Russia yeah. and moved away. And uh, that was just the same to what happens this year, this February, quite a lot of people. I, I mean, uh, let's say starting from 2000 to 2020, 20 years, it's 5 millions of Russians who left the country. Really? Yes. And that's quite a lot. So it's not just like this year. Yeah. That's quite a lot of people who actually leave the country because they don't feel like for the... And yeah, I read about uh, the answers, why so. And it was mostly about security or future of their children. Yeah. Or just community. So it's not like what's just happening. Yeah. It's something that's been going on for a period of time. Definitely. Yeah. And the problem is that uh, what I feel like it's uh, not only about the government. It's also about community. It's also about people. Yeah. So as but long as they don't all come to your Svalbard, you don't mind? Sorry? <laughs> as long as those five million don't come to Svalbard, you're happy. <laughs> yeah, I feel like people should live where they'd like to live, where yeah. they feel good and needed. Yeah. They, I mean, we are only happy when we fit. Yeah. By ourselves. And do you, has the perception of Russians within the community in Svalbard changed since the, the war has started? Or is it is it just not really relevant here because it is a different community? What do you mean by perception in here? I think the perception with the different nationalities here in terms of the perception worldwide has sort of changed towards mm-hmm. Russia, hasn't it? You know, in terms of, I was I was even in London the other day and I think I was standing in front of some Russian people and some said, you know, you heard some say, oh, they're Russian, they're Russian, you know, in terms of, yeah, but you can't you can't tar everyone with the same brush. You know what I mean? I know that what's going on in, is is horrific, etc. But you know there has to be sort of um, you've got to be careful what you judge and how you judge, don't you? In terms of and so has the perception in Svalbard changed of of. Can I ask a, can I ask a question? Sorry. Sure. What's the relationship now between Longyearbyen and Bouncebourg? Is it? Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah. So I say in here it's not like same. As yeah. on mainland again. Yeah. Uh, back to your question, Barinsburg, Longibian relationships. Uh, the council visits Falbert. Uh, they had a meeting with all the tour operators and uh, they discussed either Barinsburg should be kind of ignored and uh, if the companies should not spend their money and bring their tourists mm-hmm. in there. Either not. So the decision was, uh, let's say, not radical because it was not said that you are not coming to Barisburg anymore. It was just a recommendation that we like recommend you not to go in there. Uh, once again, I remind you why, because it's not just a private company, it's a governmental company. Yeah. So most of money you spend in the area go back to the mainland. So this kind of taxes and stuff and stuff and stuff, and then it all goes to the war. So, uh, and after that, one uh, of the locals in Longibin says that it's actually a good decision and he thinks that it should be more radical, that the company in Barnesburg should be even just banned, not just a suggestion not to go in there. But while this, if there are any Russian, Ukrainian, open-minded people who do not support war in Ukraine, who support Ukraine, they of course very welcome in Longibuin and they will yeah. give, will be granted any help yeah. and stuff like that. So I think that that answer yeah. is kind of explained. So it depends which way you, you fall on it, but Definitely. It's, it's quite an open-minded Definitely. approach. Uh, I think 
in here, what matters is that it's still about uh, quality, not quantity. Due to the community is not that big, yeah. it still matters what a person thinks. It, it, it's not that much about kind of, you know... I think that's, yeah. Well, I think that's a pretty good way to end, don't you? In terms of it's about what a person thinks. I think, you know, ignorantly, I probably started this, you know, thinking that you're a Russian in Svalbard. Now, I think you're obviously sort of part of the Svalbard community and a Svalbardian that is driven by values. Rather and that's than, a huge pleasure. And yeah, and, and driven by values rather than anything else. But it's, it's an amazing sort of opportunity to sit and meet with you. And I'm glad we sort of met you the other day in the bar and that you're your dinner for Ukraine was such a success as well and wish you all the we, best for We you. raised quite a lot of money. How much did you raise in the end? Yes. How much? In total, I, we're still in process of calculating, I mean, guys in the, the uh, restaurant, but I feel like it's at least 6,000 euro, yeah. maybe even more. Brilliant. But that's, that's amazing really... for doing that up here in a really remote community. It was a fantastic evening. It was great to be part of it, wasn't it, Martin? It was amazing. Um, yeah. It's interesting that when you take people out of their countries and put them on an island, yeah. they become a community straight away. And they exactly. Forget, they forget about their nationality. Exactly. exactly. Is in here, while you are out on a snow scooter, it doesn't matter who are you and where are you from. Yeah. As long, as, as, long as you stay in track, that line, don't go out of the <laughs> <laughs> If you're on the track and you have trouble, people always yeah. offer help. And yeah. That's just the that's way it should be. And living in here. Brilliant. And Thank you very much, Sergei. Pleasure. Brilliant. Huge pleasure. Cheers, buddy. Thanks. Cheers. Great. Thanks, Sergei. Cheers.